This is Taking Care in Business, a podcast that dives into the topic of corporate social responsibility from many different perspectives. Host Kathy Pedrotti Hayes is an expert in CSR and philanthropic giving, and her co-host, Vicki Bolson, is the founder and CEO of Bolson Group, a unified marketing company that was also the first B Corp certified company in Indiana. Kathy and Vicki became friends and equally passionate about CSR when they first worked together several years ago. Join them as they talk about why it is always worthwhile to take care in business. Hey, Kathy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm looking at you, but I'm not I'm not <laughs> next to you. So we're getting used to this whole world of uh, coronavirus podcasting, right? I know. I know. It's not bad. No, it really isn't bad. It isn't bad at all. Um, no, except for that my dog barks in the background a little bit, so I have to hit you. <laughs> but. I had my kids take the dogs outside for a little while, so hopefully they won't bust through my door and uh, join join our Zoom uh, uh, meeting here as we look at each other while we tape. So, right. so uh, Matthew can maybe edit it out. Awesome. Well, so um, obviously things are – we're living in a really different world, and um, we, I am like on social media all the time now and just trying to stay connected and online quite a bit. Are you doing a lot of that as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just find it fascinating how companies and brands are, you know, communicating with their various stakeholders throughout this and, um, you know, learn from that and see what they're doing. But there's definitely a lot of questions about, you know, why some of them are making the choices they are. And then there are those that are just rock stars, you know, right. that they just stand right. out and you're like, Oh my gosh, how brilliant. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been very interesting. And, and really I've learned a lot throughout the process and hope that we as, you know, a communications company will be better from what we've seen and, and really from this unique experience of having to work remotely, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm really excited for our next guest because um, he is an expert in online giving. And, you know, I, I don't want to tell you when I got my master's degree, but it's been more than 20 years ago. And when I attended the fundraising school um, here at IU and, and now I'm faculty there. But, you know, when I was in going through fundraising school, we didn't know anything. I mean, there was no kind of online giving, right? I mean, we did all of our appeals by mail, direct mail. That was such a big deal. And now, of course, um, online giving is just huge. It's, it's, I would say, the majority of what most of my clients use are online appeals. Um, some of the old school stuff still works, but um, I know online giving increased the latest report that I have is from 2018, um, and it increased 23% in 2017, and then um, that was after 15% growth in 2016. So this is definitely something that is trending up, and um, what's really great is that Brady Josephson is our next guest, and he's the uh, managing director of the Next After Institute, and this is such a great resource for organizations that are interested in um, raising money. The Next After Institute um, provides original research, develops evidence-based resources, and provides data-driven training to help organizations raise more money online to fund their life-changing work. So Brady describes himself as a charity nerd, (laughs) 
adjunct professor and international speaker. And he's been featured in the Huffington Post, NPR, and the Chronicle of Philanthropy, among others. He was the lead researcher and author of the Canadian Online Fundraising Scorecard, the State of Nonprofit Donation Pages, and the State of Nonprofit Email Cultivation. He is also the host of the Generosity Freak Show, a podcast discussing how we can improve, optimize, and grow giving. I can't wait to, I haven't listened to that yet, but it's, I'm putting it in my queue. I can't wait to hear it. So Brady, um, just outside Vancouver, British Columbia, with his wife, um, son, dog, and cat. So we are very happy to welcome Brady um, uh, to our show today. So now we can say you've been featured on Taking Care in Business too, Brady. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. So the next After Institute has been really busy lately, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's an unfortunate reality of, of the world that we're living in where organizations are having to uh, look at how to do things differently. And the good news for us is, you know, we've invested heavily in the online space, and that's where a lot of organizations are turning. So we wish that this would come about in a different way, but uh, we are having some exciting conversations with organizations right now. So can you give us kind of an overview on how um, COVID-19 is really impacting nonprofits and online giving. And I know you guys have a space on your site about that. Yeah, you know, one of the, the things that came out right away was this immediate response about what nonprofits should or should not be doing, you know, like immediately. And a lot of it was said with a lot of confidence, you know, nonprofits should do this or nonprofits shouldn't do this. And that always makes us a little wary because it's how do you know exactly what to do, especially with confidence in the wake of a global pandemic? You know, I've been in this my whole career, but I haven't lived through something like this. And even people that have gone through multiple recessions or things like 9-11, which are, you know, extreme examples, this is still, you know, pretty different. So our approach was kind of a, a little bit of a wait and see. And let's look at what data has to say, which is really our whole approach to fundraising and uh, unlocking generosity is saying, what does data and research tell us? So we put together this resource that was calculating uh, online giving behavior and, and web traffic for 90 organizations that have given us their data kind of in real time. And then we do these mystery donor studies where we make donations and become an email subscriber and we get thousands of emails that we use to analyze. And so we just took 152 organizations across verticals and kind of trended them in these charts and put those examples up online. So at least nonprofits could see what are other people doing? Because I think one of the first fears was we must stop. You know, we can't be asking for money. We shouldn't be communicating. And that uh, we know is actually the, the recipe for a fundraising disaster is to stop communicating. And so we wanted to unearth some data and show, you know, yes, other organizations are doing this. And look, actually, you know, online giving is actually growing. There's more people giving, even though the amount that they're giving is less. So, you know, bringing some data to the conversation is one of the things that we we're trying to do with that, uh, that project and that research. Question. What were the trends that you found in your study? Can you give the highlights? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the trends that we saw is that uh, up until March uh, and even through the beginning of March, very, very few organizations were mentioning kind of COVID or coronavirus, if at all. And then since then, since March 1st, kind of after that point, about 58% of the emails that we received, so a couple thousand emails, have some mention of COVID-19 or coronavirus. So there was a fairly quick response in terms of we, we need to be kind of at least mentioning or acknowledging uh, what's going on. And then on the giving side, the, the trend is uh, there's more website traffic, uh, particularly mm -hmm. from email. 
people are at home a little bit more, maybe trapped a little bit more, maybe looking for things to do and going through their inbox. So email's actually been a valuable tool or strategy at this time, just like at any time, but it's even more valuable right now. But I think the, the kind of counterbalance to that is, again, the, the average gift size has gone down a little bit in the past three months compared to last year or the previous three months. So not a lot, but just uh, a little bit. Um, and so overall, online giving is up about 13% according to what our benchmark is for the year. And uh, we've seen kind of a big growth in activity, and we'll, we'll kind of see it normalize here. And I think those of us that are really interested in what does this look like long-term is you know, trying to figure out June and July, and then particularly year-end because you'll often see a bump and kind of a disaster response. And that's maybe what we kind of experienced, you know, in March where a lot of people felt like, wow, we have to respond and help our food banks and, you know, people on the front lines. And it'll be interesting to see what, what happens later on when maybe the immediacy of the problem isn't quite as prevalent to see, you know, what, what impact will this have on giving? So uh, those are a few trends that, that we've seen just in our, our, in our kind of benchmark study. Well, I love the Next After Institute. I mean, I love what you guys are doing. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started? Yeah, sure. So Next After has been around for about a decade. And then um, for the past four years, five years, it, it's really been in existence as a, as a consultancy with more than kind of one or two staff. And uh, I joined the team two years ago. And uh, I had my own agency up here in Canada and learned a lot about running a small business for good or bad. And uh, my job or the reason why they hired me was really to say, we, we work typically consulting with really large nonprofits to help optimize and improve their fundraising through testing. So we need a lot of volume, a lot of traffic, a lot of emails. So it's normally large organizations, but we learn a ton through our testing and our tactics and our strategies. But we're only just you know scratching the surface in terms of the number of organizations that we can help or work with. And our mission is to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many nonprofits. So my job is less working with clients and more to try to take the lessons that we learn through research, experiments, and then these mystery donor things to kind of package that up and say, well, what's working and what are nonprofits not doing and translate that into like blogs and resources and online courses and in-person training. Because to your point, I also went to grad school and studied nonprofit administration, not quite as long ago, but pretty close. And there also wasn't much on online. So it's, it seems crazy to be talking about um, the sophistication of online in 2020, but we're really behind. And so that's really what we're trying to do is kind of reteach the space and sector based on data and evidence what we can and should be doing when it comes to online fundraising and digital marketing. How About how much are, is online giving as a percentage of just in, in total? Yeah, it's about 10%, uh, a little bit less, a little bit more depending on the study. But one of the things that I always want to point out when, when we reference that uh, percentage, right, is $370 billion is given in the United States. And the vast majority of that is not coming through online gifts. It's coming through gifts of stock, gifts of real estate, gifts of mm -hmm. through assets. And none of those will, you know, make its way to being coded as an online channel. But the thing that we often say is where people interact isn't always where they transact. All right. About 70% of offline donors will visit a website and do some research before they write in a check. And so that's what makes evaluating the power and potential of digital just by viewing how much money comes, uh, comes in online as not probably the best metric or way to see how important is digital. Because once you start getting above like $1,000, donors probably should be sending in checks and things like that to save fees or whatever it might be. So right. that's, that's kind of one of the, the balances. And what we've seen at least is we can improve offline giving as much as 80% just by sending those folks uh, emails. So like direct mail donors, 
if they just receive emails, even if they never give online from our data, they'll give 80% more through their checks just by getting emails. So again, that'll never show up in the value of online, but it's massive value for digital and online. So long answer short, it's 10% with some caveats. That's so interesting. And you have such great thought leadership on your website. Um, really good stuff. I can't wait to read um, and share with different boards that I'm on. Um, but what also, you know, the resources that you have, you know, you've mentioned some of them, webinars and your podcast, and um, it looks like there's ebooks. Can you explain the various types of engagement that um, companies can have with Next After? Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing that we do is work hand in hand with nonprofits through a consulting process. So there's a, a three month roadmap process where we look at data and giving patterns and focus groups and really try to build a two to three year plan. Um, you know, as, as you know, the best way to grow things is, you know, uh, incrementally and over time. The silver bullet solution is really hard to find, it's very unpredictable. So we try to work with organizations over a few years. And so that's like the consulting engagement. And then we started kind of moving down the pyramid of engagement. So that's where we'll do like data audits. So we'll give to organizations, contact them through different channels, capture all the responses, and then benchmark them and what our experience was to what our, our um, what we've seen on the, the mystery donor study. So it's more of like a, a user experience benchmark. So it'll be really interesting because we'll contact organizations, we'll call them, we'll fill out their contact us form, we'll message them on Facebook and we'll make a donation. And we'll ask the same question as we're going through each of those processes about why should I give to you as opposed to another organization or not at all. And we'll capture the response. And we've asked that question out of hundreds of other nonprofits. And we've even partnered with someone to do it in Spanish. So we've got this, you know, big bank of responses in all those channels. And so it's interesting to see how the responses change via channel if they get back to us at all, which mm -hmm. they often don't, which is pretty bad. Um, so that's kind of like the next tier down. And then really the, in, the training is where we spent a lot of time investing of saying there's great like webinars, you can listen to a podcast and it's great for kind of some ideas. But in terms of developing skills of how do you actually get this done, a podcast or a webinar, it's, it's gonna fall short. So that's where we our courses are about five to, some of them are 10 hours of content that are kind of walking you through how to do email fundraising, how to use Facebook to turn folks into donors, you know, how to do testing. So we're really trying to fill more of this training execution gap and not so much just the what are the little ideas so that's a little bit more about what we're what we're trying to do and what we currently offer sure and you offer those certifications right and so how how thought after do you feel like cert the certifications are in terms of um digital and online giving uh not not that much <laughs> to be honest right and that's that's part that's partly why we're trying to um almost create it, to be honest. You know, there's like the CFRE program, and then mm -hmm. there's some other certifications through higher ed institutions. And what we found, at least on the online digital side, is there's nothing that really fits very well. You know, a lot of programs are geared towards uh, major gift fundraising or possibly grants, less so in direct response and then even less so in the digital and online side. And so we just kind of said, well, we think professionalizing this space is important. And one of the ways you do that is allow people to earn some level of certification. So let's build one. And I hope years from now, you know, there's, there's a, like a global standard and we're just one of a few folks trying to, you know, reach this level of standardization, but we're pretty, you know, entrepreneurial and we didn't want to wait around to get all this kind of buy-in. And so we just started building one and 
hopefully it can hopefully it can fit because what we want it to be is you know if you go to hire someone how do you know if they know what they're doing when it comes to online fundraising how do you know right. if they you know know what it what it means to test do they know fundraising do they know digital it's really hard to know and so we're hoping that this certification can be um, kind of like a symbol to employers as well as something for people to strive to within their own industry, which is more digital and direct response. So I hope that answer will change in the next few years and say, yes, it's very desired and uh, people are clamoring to get it. But I don't know if that's the case right now. Yeah, I'm pleased to learn about it because I think that would be just such a huge benefit in terms of development and fundraising professionals. Um, because again, I'm dated in my in my studies, but I I don't feel like there's been a huge emphasis, or certainly there wasn't back in the day. But um, I I just was curious to learn about that because I think it is something that is really necessary. So good for you guys for kind of taking the lead on that. Can't wait to pass on um, information to. I've got a couple people on my mind right now that I I'm trying not to get distracted by texting them or emailing <laughs> them right now. <laughs> So I am too. I'm so happy to hear about your company, and I, I'm on the. Well, let me tell you which page I'm on on your website, um, just so people can know what I'm referencing. I think it's the uh, careers page, because I was just curious, you know, how big your team was, and you know what it's like to um, work with Next After. Um, and you're in Vancouver, is that correct? So I'm in Vancouver, but I'm actually in the process of moving to Texas where everyone else okay. is. I'm the only one remote. Okay. Right I wondered about that because it says that Plano, Texas is, is its home um, where it's located. But anyway, that doesn't really matter for what I was going to say. What I was going to say is it's it's astounding. The, the very last sentence on that page says that over the years, we've improved our clients' fundraising efforts over 70,000%. I mean, that's out of control. That is so amazing. Yeah, that's it, it's uh, using a metric that we use cumulative net impact of testing. So it's not necessarily improving like their bottom line revenue 700,000%. Um, we track every single test that we do, and it's either a lift or uh, a decrease. And when you stack little lifts on little lifts over a long period of time, that's how you get to a 7,000 you know, percent increase over time, but it is a, it is a metric that we, that we keep in track and it's, it's nice to say it cause it's really big. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really is. I mean, that's remarkable. Congratulations. So I, have, I have a client who, um, you know, I have a couple clients, but during this coronavirus um, era, one is really seeing a huge spike in interest from donors and just sort of online social media presence because they are a sanctuary. They're like an animal sanctuary and they've been doing a really good job doing some like Facebook live and some other things. And of course, right now I think peace of mind is something that is so everybody wants. Right. And so these beautiful Mm. green fields and these, you know, lovely animals, they're really um, doing, you know, it's doing a lot in terms of their awareness and connection with donors. What do you think will be some of the longer-term impacts of coronavirus on on fundraising and online fundraising? Yeah, it's funny. We were just talking about that last week internally because it, it'll be interesting to see what sticks, right? So a lot of people are moving away from physical events to, like, mm-hmm. live-streamed events or, you know, virtual run-walk rides. And it's something that a lot of people have been trying to do for years, you know, because you think the costs go down, 
you don't have to be in that physical location, right? So I used to work, I used to live and work in Chicago where I love an organization. And if they do a walk in Chicago, I love them, but I'm not flying to Chicago to participate in a 5K walk, right? Whereas potentially I could do that at home through these types of ways. So it has a certain reach and scale that in-person events don't. Obviously the downside is you miss the in-person factor. It's not quite as good on the community and relationship, but you know, people have been talking about this and now organizations are forced to do it. Or people have been saying, hey, digital acquisition for like recurring in particular is a lot cheaper and a lot higher than other channels. What if we invested more in digital acquisition and then maybe use other channels for kind of more communication or conversion downstream or something like that? Well, now they have to, right? I just got an email today of an organization that's doing canvassing like in malls. And they're like, well, what do we do? (laughs) We can't recruit people to recurring giving programs in malls because no one's going to malls. Right? So it's forcing people to think about their strategies, prioritize what's important, where they should invest in the digital side. So I do think that there will be some lasting impact in terms of um, improving um, technical or um, their, like tech stack, for lack of a better word, because um, a lot of organizations want to respond. But to get their you know, website and donation page and email programs and CRMs kind of turned around, they just, they can't, they can't move quick enough. Even if the leadership wants to, the tech can't and vice versa. Even if the tech can, the leadership can't. So I think we'll see some of those things stick around, but particularly for like virtual events, I'm curious to see, uh, you know, whether that will, will stick around or not. I think it will to a degree, um, but there's just no substitute for some in-person experiences. So I don't see it going away kind of completely, but um, we should see some increase in, in online giving for sure. And uh, hopefully that sticks around for years to come. Well, I know I'll be looking at Next After Institute and kind of tracking these trends. So I'm so glad to know about you as a resource. Um, A question that we always ask our guests is, you know, what advice would you give to some, a company or a nonprofit, somebody trying to increase using their business as a force for good? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the things that has stood out to me working for an XAP, so we're a for-profit company, even though we're missionally minded and we work with nonprofits, but one of the, our corporate values that we use a lot in decision-making that I think is, is a great value to have is err on the side of generosity. And it doesn't just mean giving. Obviously, there's a giving component to it. But I just think every time you have this interaction, whether it's with a staff person, whether it's with a client, you can actually just say there's, there's really two paths that we can take. You know, we can take path A or path B, and all things being equal, just choose the one that's more generous. So maybe that means refunding the past month to a client after they leave on day 20. You know, is it fair? You can keep that. But err on the side of generosity, you know, give it back. You know, matching employee contributions for someone who didn't quite meet the 12-month threshold. You know, there's all these decisions that you can think about running your business and what I found so valuable to that is it's a mantra that, you know, is, is lived out, but it, it actually helps you make some decisions. And what I've seen time and time again is um, when you invest or err on the side of generosity, it always comes back, you know, tenfold. And one, one story on that, there was a small organization uh, a few years ago. So we do a big conference every year. And it's a higher ticketed price conference. We bring in speakers from around the world. And last year we had like a circus troupe. Like we, we kind of go all out. And uh, this, this organization is pretty small, and they said, hey, we'd love to go to a conference. We can't quite afford it. And said, you know what? If you really want to be there, we'd love to have you, and we gave them a free ticket. Fast forward three years, and they paid for 12 tickets and have brought in another probably 50 other people to come to that conference, of which we've 
received probably one or two clients who then there's, you know, huge revenue. And it's not like we did that decision to like, who, who knows what this ter- could turn out, you know, five years down the line. It was really just, uh, let's, let's err on the side of generosity. Let's have these people who want to be here. And then it just pays itself back in ways that you can't imagine. So uh, it's maybe a little wishy-washy, but I think it's a, it's, it's a principle that a lot of folks running businesses uh, should inhabit or, or take on. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Both of us say it at the same time. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, well, this has been a wonderful interview. I have um, really enjoyed talking with you and hearing um, about Next After and can't wait to share it with um, not just our listeners, but with some personal contacts as well. So thanks for finding time to um, join us for a bit today and to talk about um, such an important topic. And yeah, Brady, thank you can so you much share for... um, how listeners can connect with you and Next After? Yeah. Well, thank you again for, for having me on and, and having the show to kind of expose different companies and ideas. I uh, really appreciate it. In terms of connecting with me, maybe LinkedIn. You can just search Brady Josephson or it's LinkedIn slash Brady Josephson. But for us, uh, you can go to nextafter.com or if you're looking at some of these training resources, you go to nextafter.com slash pod, P-O-D. Uh, you'll see some of our resources and get a little discount too if you wanted to take a course or two. So uh, nextafter.com and nextafter.com slash pod. Thank you so much. Have a great day and stay safe and sane. Thank you. You too. One of the things that's so remarkable about this crisis is just seeing how businesses pivot from their initial uh, offerings to offering something that the community really needs and wants. Are you familiar with the Martin Luther King Community Center, Vicki? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, they're they're an amazing organization, one of a network of community centers here in Indianapolis. They're located around 38th and Meridian, and a few years ago, the center was on the cusp of a collapse. Um, they were ridiculed in the media, and they, they didn't have a whole lot of significant program support. Um, the board banded together and hired a new executive director, and since that time, the, they've really been recognized for the response to community needs, and um, COVID-19 has really necessitated that the center, which is a physical site for so many community members in need, um, has, they've needed to change the way they deliver services. So right now they're offering emergency food delivery to area residents three times a week. That's something they've never done before. And um, for those that have transportation and need foods, they're, they're directing them to the most appropriate food bank around. Um, they're continuing to provide emergency financial assistance for both rent and utility um, payments for area residents, which, of course, now in the, in the wake of all these layoffs and um, everything, that those are really important. And then lastly, their educational support has really shifted. So... Um, as a traditional community center and site, they are used to providing after-school um, programming and some tutoring, and now they can't do that because of social distancing and the stay-at-home orders. But what they are doing is they're helping parents like you and me, Vicki, who are e-learning and e-schooling our kids um, via Zoom and conference calls. So that's a really, I think, kind of cool and innovative way that they are responding to this crisis. Wow, yeah, they're doing a lot, and um, I, I know a lot of the community centers are out there, but this is this is some pretty awesome, um, you know, personalized 
need from their community, and um, we should really uh, give them a good round of applause for that. Yes, thanks to Martin Luther King Community Center. Let's give a big thank you to our sound engineer, Matt Sosi. And our Taking Care and Community sponsor, National Bank of Indianapolis. If you'd like to nominate someone or an organization for a future episode, you can visit our website, takingcareinbusiness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or download Taking Care in Business wherever you get our podcasts. If you love Taking Care in Business, give us a five-star rating and leave a review or share this episode on your social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Taking Care in Biz, B-I-Z. If you have questions or comments, you can also email us at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, take take care care in in business. business.